for me, I'm, I'm looking for the five tool guy. Obviously, every prospect that I like is usually uh, at least like 50 power, 50 speed, like minimum. <laughs> mm-hmm. And the hit tool is so important to me. So that's basically my ideal prospect. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Fantasy Insiders Podcast. This is your host, Stully, and tonight we're going to be talking about some Dynasty Baseball. And to do that, I brought in a fellow Deep Dynasty 30 for 30 competitor and friend, my dearest (laughs) on Twitter uh, prospect friend, just like Chris Clegg. It's Megs. Megs, I underscore S20. What's going on, Max? How you doing? Hey, Stoli. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, very excited to uh, talk about some deep dynasties. We, as you as you noted, uh, we were in a thirty for 30 uh, team draft recently, and uh, absolute blast. Um, I really have have really started to really enjoy those deeper leagues. Uh, I think that was my fifth thirty team draft that I've done this year, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we Jeez. kind of hit, hit it off and. Um, it was interesting how many of the same prospects we seem to like and also MLB players. And, uh, yeah, it was a blast and um, really enjoyed kind of getting to see, you know, the different strategies that people had, had in, their, in, that, in their league. Yeah, for sure. In a league that size, there's so many different ways you could go about your team builds. Um, and you probably had more experience in 30 teamers than any, anyone else drafting in that league. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah sorry, it's crazy I was... how I, I, I kind of just jumped into the 30 team back um, back in the spring um, and doing some 30 teams. And I just I really, really, really started to enjoy it. And, um, you know, did a couple TDBC, TDBC 30s as well. And a couple 30 team startups, a couple 30 team mocks. They, it's just, there's, as I'm sure we'll talk about in this episode, there's just um, so many little details and nuances in, in terms of the draft strategy when you're in a league that deep. Oh, for sure, man. E- even throughout the draft, I've changed my strategy like five times. <laughs> <laughs> just depends who falls to you, right? Like, um, one of the strategies I heard a long time ago was to go in there with no strategy. Um, but I feel like a league this size, you have to have some sort of plan or else you're just going to get passed by people that know what they're doing. Um, the one good thing that I found about this league, like even me and you can attest to this, is everybody seems to be getting along well. Uh, everybody just loves Dynasty Baseball. Um, there's very good conversations even after the draft going on in the league chat. Uh, I'm just having so much fun in this. Uh, I've always wanted to do a league this size. Um, mainly because I'm always researching prospects that nobody's ever heard of before, uh, just because I want to be that one that finds them before other people do. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, and I think that in, in a league this size, like you hit it on the head, I mean, it's so important that you find those guys, um, especially if you um, are focusing on more of a compete now or a win now strategy early on. Um, you really have to uh, find those hidden gems later in the draft or um, you're going to end up not having the, the depth that you need to compete in a 30-team league. 
Oh, that's the biggest thing is depth because you constantly have to have new players coming in as older players are retiring. Um, you have to own these guys before uh, before they're they're famous and well known players because then you're paying up for them, um, and then at that point you're not really getting a value. Uh, if you have to pay up for it, which we'll talk about some players that we feel like that's already happening to, um, which they've only been in the league a year and it's already happening. Um, so that's exactly what you don't want to have uh, in your startup. You don't want to overpay for players when there's literally thousands of players you could pick from. Um, th the worst thing you could do is overpay. Exactly. I think my, my view on uh, appropriate draft strategy, I'm all about the return on the investment. Um, it's not, I mean, there's so many different, so many players that I really enjoy, but when I'm, when I'm looking to draft, I, I'm looking at where I can, you know, find those pockets of, of players that I think are only, their value is only going to go up. And, um, I'm, I'm, I try to avoid drafting anyone at their, at their peak. It, it's, it can be difficult and mm -hmm. obviously early, early on, you just want to get the best available, but, um, uh, in this draft particularly, and I think it applies across the board to um, dynasty drafts in general, especially deeper ones, um, I was really focusing on uh, looking at players that I felt in, in 2020 um, in the small sample were basically had their value depressed. And uh, I went into the draft with a strategy that wasn't quite sure who that player was going to be, but there's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and as the draft progressed, it just kind of... Um, it worked out that way that I think my, my first uh, seven picks or at least six picks were all guys, MLB guys in their prime that did not have the seasons that I think some people expected. Alex Bredman, Jack Flaherty, Javier Baez, Joey Gallo, Ramon Mariano, uh, Frankie Montas. And uh, I think that taking a strategy like that in a 30 team allows you to have depth, but it also allows you to potentially get that return on investment that you're looking for. Oh, for sure, Ben. I, Bregman is such a funny guy. Um, depending on what league you're in, he's either going really high or you're getting him at a discount. <laughs> it's like there's no real sweet spot. Um, so just for me, I, I really like Bregman because multi-position. Uh, with COVID, anytime you get a guy with multi-position, man, it's like sign me up because – you always have to mix and match your lineup. You're, you're playing guys out of position uh, that you didn't normally have them at just because, oh, great, my guy's going out for the next week because of COVID tracing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if COVID's still going to be around next year, but I've, I have that mindset moving forward in every fantasy league. I just want to have the best depth I possibly can have, and I want to get the cheapest, um, most valuable depth. And that's pretty much what you were just saying, too. It's like... Um, guys like Bregman were a first-round pick for two years in a row, and then all of a sudden you can get him in the second and third round, and it's like, whoa, well, hold on a second. Why? Because of 60 games? <laughs> yeah, so so I actually I, I kept a little chart during that draft because I was just very curious because I had done a 30-team league prior to the season. Um, it's a league that at Dynasty One Stop is put together and it's got a lot of uh, heavyweights in there, um, you know, both industry guys and just people like me that are really passionate about Dynasty Baseball. And um, we, we did a draft before the season. And so I had some uh, kind of a frame of reference of where the values were on players and, and then where they were now. And like Bregman 
Uh, he went number eight overall uh, in that draft, which was held in May and in June, right before mm-hmm. the season. And I took him at 23. So, <laughs> I mean, that's a 15-pick difference right there. Jack Flaherty, uh, I took at 38. He went at 24. So, that's a 14-pick difference. Um, then you look at, like, Ramon Mariano. I got him at 143. He went at 66. In, in that draft. So that's a 77 pick difference on a fifth round pick. Um, so it's just, I think there, I mean, there's an argument to be made for some of those players that maybe they were overdrafted, but I just, I have a hard time believing that in this 60 game sample size that, that that's where their value should really be right now. But Hey, I'll take the discount. Yeah. It's, man, I really don't know how, 60 games can impact someone's opinion so much, but at the same time, it's like that's all we have to go on as of last year's stats. So it's right there in people's faces. Uh, but the one good thing about fan tracks is you can go back previous years. So all I did was just shuffle the list, go to 2019 stats, and there you see Alex Bregman is a beast. <laughs> so, yeah. A yeah, 23 it's... in a 30-team league, absolute steal. Especially in OBP league. And I think that's another important thing to consider, right, is the, is the format. And, and when, I, when we start talking about some of the prospects, um, the, the format, an OBP slug format like this one, um, it, it definitely um, requires you to pay close attention to guys that play up in that format and guys that maybe in an average league would be less valuable, like a Joey Gallo, right? I took him in 98. I mean, I don't know if I make that pick if it's average, but... Um, I Never. thought it was I thought it was great value um, in an OBP league. So mm-hmm. just an, another thing you have to consider when you're when you're thinking about who to target. Yeah, for sure. OBP is such a different animal um, because it makes guys like Joey Gallo way more valuable. And yeah, take advantage anywhere you can, um, especially in leagues where they have saves plus holds. That devalues closers, so don't reach on them. Just wait. Yes. Um, One of my strategies is in a 30 team is I'm very attentive to, to the reliever market, and I think it's really important to get good relievers. But like you said, um, going after those elite closers is not necessarily a, a move that I will make and, and rarely do because – there's also elite setup men that in yep. the saves holds holds league are now either equally valuable or you know at least in that same tier, and mm-hmm. so um, I think there is a tendency to especially when people come over from a five by five format to um, a saves hold format to yeah. to just apply the same approach, but you can you can really get some um, really good deals on what I think will be a lead close um, setup man um, and not even, and not even chase that closer. Like just as an example in this league, I, I took my first uh, reliever. Uh, I guess depends on how you define Freddie Peralta. I took him at 338 and then I took Emmanuel Classe at 398, Jonathan Hernandez at 503, um, Scott Barlow at 743, who I actually really like in a safe hold format because I think he, is going to generate a lot of strikeouts and um, will still get a significant number of holes. But, mm-hmm. and so I, I mean, I, yeah, there's, there's no closers really on my team. Um, but 
I still am very confident that I have a, a relief core that will will provide the safe hold value and good ratios. Was it you that sniped Class A from me? Well, I have him, so I must have been the first to sniped you. <laughs> I already knew that answer. I was looking at your team. Uh, yeah, bro. I I have the exact same strategy. My my first bullpen arm was Alex Colome at five fifty three. So I I can't overpay for a guy that's getting a category that anyone can get um, this late. You know what I mean? Like. I don't know. I'd much rather take a guy like Corbin Carroll in the eighth, which I did, or uh, Grayson Rodriguez in the ninth, which I did, than a closer. Um, these guys are going to be building blocks for me in the future. Um, the one, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, too, about saves plus holds is there's new guys every single year that come out of nowhere. They're transformed from the rotation into the bullpen, and their stuff plays up. All of a sudden, they're on the map. Like, where did Devin Williams come from? You know what I mean? Yeah, I was just going to mention Devin Williams as the example. I think he went in the 44th round of my 30-team startup that we did in the spring. I mean, wow. so, you know, that's that's insane value. And now he's going in, like, what, the top 200 probably mm-hmm. at, 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 at least. Um, so it's a great point. And so, yeah, I, I think, though, that people sometimes take the approach or think that, Waiting on relieving relief pitchers is punting on relief pitchers. Um, mm-hmm. But in a saves hold format, it, I don't view it that way at all. Um, I, I am very, I, like, I, like I mentioned, I, I view re, uh, elite relievers as a really important part of my draft strategy. I just don't think I have to draft them early to get them. Uh, Tyler Duffy is another guy I like, like to target in these formats. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not somebody that you're really targeting in a saves-only format. Um, so there's, there's a lot of uh, names out there that uh, I think can be very valuable at, at a relatively reasonable price. All right, I'll throw a deep name out at you. Um, since you said Devin Williams went in the 44th round, I scrolled to my team and I'm like, all right, who did I take there? Right around there, I took Dylan Tate in the 42nd round. Um, maybe Dylan Tate is the new Devin Williams. <laughs> I mean, you, you never know, right? Like, I mean, I, it's it's one of those things where relievers can pop up from nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, but I probably wouldn't – I mean, it sounds like I went a little bit earlier than you did even. Um, I, I do I do believe that there is um, kind of a, a, a cutoff where I feel very comfortable about, like, my top two or three guys. Um Especially if you're going to factor in age, like Alex Colomay is is, is a, a great pick when you got him, but you know he's he's in his 30s, he's he's aging. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to grab a couple guys that I thought were going to give me um, value, but also were in in their mid 20s. So that's why I targeted someone like Emilio Classe and, and Jonathan Hernandez. And if you're going to take that approach, you do have to go a little bit earlier, um, just because of the age difference, right? Um, mm-hmm. But but I can see I can see both. Uh, approaches working for sure especially like you said if you can find those uh, younger relievers uh, later in the draft that turn into to quality safe hold uh, candidates mm-hmm. and i love that the one thing about relief pitchers is there's what eight on every team um i mean every mlb team not every fantasy team so every bullpen there's an opportunity for a new player to come out of nowhere 
Um, so I'm always on roster resource on fan graphs, looking at bullpens because there's names that pop up every day where I'm like, I've never heard of this guy before. I start researching. Next thing you know, you've got a saves hold candidate um, completely out of nowhere just from checking out a team roster. Um, it's that easy. And then, and then, and, and also thing that happens is like, you know, trades happen and all of a sudden your closer gets moved. So now everybody moves up a spot, right? So your Mm -hmm. setup man is now your closer, your seventh inning guy is now your eighth inning guy. Um, and a lot of that happens at the trade deadline. You also have off season moves. Uh, An example in one of my leagues, I have Lou Trevino who I took like, I don't know, 45th round or something like that. Um, Mm -hmm. in, in the draft last year, kept him on my team and he got me, got me a couple holds and then, uh, Liam Hendricks leaves in free agency, and now he's at minimum going to be one of the the back end uh, bullpen arms. Either the probably you know get a significant number of holds in the eighth inning. So it's just another example of how you you can find these guys. Um, and, and I'm going to p- make a plug uh, for the Perfectly Framed podcast. I don't know if you've listened to that yet, but it's a relatively mm-hmm. new podcast that. If you're interested in relief pitching, it is absolutely. I mean, they go deep on like every every uh, um, bullpen, and mm-hmm. I think in deeper leagues, really understanding all the guys that could potentially become the next the next up is really important. All right, uh, I'll have to check it out. I actually have not checked them out yet. So thanks for the yeah, plug. I mean, yeah, it's it's all relief pitching. It's the first one that I've I've found that is like in the entire podcast is dedicated to relief pitching. That's awesome. So. <laughs> I'll definitely check it out, man. Because that's yeah. my I feel like it's one of my specialties. I I love finding hidden gems. So for me, one of those hidden gems this year in this draft was Zachary Pop. Um, he was a rule five pick for the Diamondbacks this year. And basically, they got to keep him on the roster. They get they have to get rid of him. And what you have with him is they're calling him a classic Brandon League. Do you remember Brandon League from back in the day? I I, I do. I I can't say that I can can tell you a lot about his his stats, but I, I definitely yeah. I definitely remember him. Uh, just being a, a solid contributor. Mm-hmm. He's just a flamethrower, um, crazy sinker. Uh, yeah, so basically with him, I got him in the 57th round. If he turns out to be nothing, well, no big deal. If he turns out to be something, like a back-end Brandon League type who was a closer for a few years, um, that's something that I'm okay with in the 57th round of a 30-team league. Uh, this was just something that I was trying to find um, specifically in the Rule 5 draft that happened this year. I wanted to find a guy that potentially could sneak into some some saves or some holds you know what i mean and a category as simple as that that's all you need is a team like arizona who doesn't really have that good of a closer currently um i think it's stephen Crichton. uh but anyways there's an opportunity for him at one point this year to possibly get a chance and who knows maybe he runs with it i think of jordan romano this last year on the jays um, he got the opportunity and he just had the look of a closer and he ran with it, man. And they signed, uh, oh, what's his name? Kirby Yates. So Romano's a guy you just got to stash for now and, and hope that maybe down the line he's, he gets another chance at the closing job. But but in the safe hold league, he still could be valuable. Um, uh, yep, that's literally and, what I was about to say. <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I think... In a, so my view on a saves hold format is 
I still like saves only in in shallow leagues because I think there's something exciting about the scarcity. But if you're talking this like a 16 teamer or above, um, I think saves holding has to be the way to go, and it's and it's really exciting and it opens up an entirely new um, pool of players that you would otherwise not do any research on. And I really uh, enjoy talking about about that part of this about that part of the strategy to a, a deep league. So, for yeah. sure it's it's such an exciting aspect of baseball now because these guys are coming out throwing so hard and uh i don't know i just love seeing like a good fastball like completely full hitter as, the, the, as the, the other thing that's interesting about a 30 team league and i think this is something for for the listeners that are interested in maybe getting into one of these leagues to think about is when you're talking so many teams and so many you, the stats they disperse a little more interesting like stolen bases and some of the ratios like it's like you can have a blow up every now and then and it doesn't hurt you quite as bad or like if you don't have those elite stolen base guys across the board i find that you can still kind of um hodgepodge together stolen bases in, in a deeper league a little bit better than you can in a shallow league. So just like thinking about just, you know, everybody has scarcity issues and, and depth issues. So like, I find that those kind of stats, like, and so to, to can, can be ones that, you know, you don't have to freak out quite as much. So like to your point about relievers, like you can find one of those guys. And even if he has a couple of awful starts, it's not going to necessarily hurt your ratios. Um, maybe as much as it might in a, and they're coming in for maybe like 0.1, 0.2 innings when they do get blown up. So it hurts way less than if they were coming in for like six innings and giving up 12 runs. Yeah. <laughs> if it's like one, like 0.1 and, and two runs, no big deal. He'll right. get it. At, like it'll even out over the next two innings. So right. just, just keep them in there and, and enjoy the strikeouts um most nights he'll 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 keep your ratios down for you and the more you have of them the more they keep your ratios down and boost your strikeouts boost your saves and holds sometimes they get wins there's so many possibilities man um i love relief pitchers <laughs> yeah yeah no i do too and it's 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 fun it's fun talking about cuz i feel like a lot of people um don't really either don't enjoy talking about them or just don't think that it's you know what an important part of the, the the strategy, or they just would take the the closers and move on. But um, mm. in a, in a deeper league, I will say that my interest in relief pitching definitely increased um, significantly when I started getting into these thirty team leagues because there's there's really just it, there's just so many more um, opportunities to find those guys throughout the draft. And an, another part of my strategy that I'll just touch on quickly is. In, in a deep league, I, I want to make sure that I am comfortable with my pitching staff early um, mm. because I find that it it's, can be very difficult to acquire those guys at a reasonable price. And um, and the number of elite pitchers is, is so few that when you spread them out over 30 teams, like you just don't have the depth that you have in shallow leagues. And the replacement level, you know, player, it, it just doesn't exist. I mean, the only players that you really see on waivers after a draft are 
backup catchers and, and, and middle relievers. So what I try to do, and, and I saw that you did this as well with uh, Walker Buehler as your first pick, mm-hmm. you, you find that find that ace early. I was uh, really happy to get Jack Flaherty at 38. And um, I think yeah, no that kidding. he's the type of play, player in a 30-team league who's going to give you a lot of innings. He's going to have decent ratios. He had, uh, in my opinion, one or two – blow up starts this year and mm-hmm. I think that in a full season he's gonna he's gonna be an ace. And now like if you you know then you can kind of find those those bats that that drop and uh I <clears throat> I think that if you don't find a, a pitcher early in a in a deep league, you're kind of chasing it for a while, right? Uh, mm-hmm. now there are, I mean there are other ways you can do it. You can go bats and then just try to build with volume in the middle rounds, but I really do think that, I mean, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the, when you think about a 30-team league, you kind of equate it to the MLB, right? There's 30 teams. So, like, if you want to be competitive, you want to have an ace. And I, I really do um, think that that is important in a, in a deeper league. That's exactly how I thought of it when I was drafting. I was like, okay, i got to get my ace. And I want my number two to have ace upside. So my number two is Sixto, who I think has a, ace upside. Um, I didn't take him in the second round. I got him in the third at 73 overall, which I feel is a pretty good price in a 30-team league for Sixto Sanchez. Um, but we're we actually we're going to touch on some deeper guys. So I love talking about these early guys. Um, don't get me wrong. I could talk about prospects all day long. Um, but the whole purpose of this was for us to kind of tell – the audience about our favorite deeper guys um so for example our first player on the list is comes in around pick 200 on my end and on your end comes in around pick 300 um so without any further ado makes let's jump in with the first player on your list um who is brandon marsh who you took in round 10 at number 278 Yes. Um, so I think I could talk about Brandon Marsh all day, but I'll, I'll try to, to keep it uh, <laughs> to, to a minimum. Um, I, I put out a tweet a, a couple of days ago about, I did like a, a dynasty portfolio um, assessment. And I, I, I learned that I had more shares of Brandon Marsh than any other player in my nine dynasty leagues. That I had. <laughs> so um, it's, it's clear that I, I, I really like him. And there, there are a lot of reasons that I like him and I'll, I'll get into that. But it partially gets back to the strategy that I talked about at the beginning where, you know, the return on investment is something I'm really looking at when I'm approaching these, these drafts. And I had, I targeted him as someone, you know, after doing my research on, on prospects back in the spring as someone that I really thought would be a, a good value. And if you notice, this is my first prospect. And so when I'm waiting until round 10 for a prospect, I want to make sure that the guys that I'm, taking there are guys that I really believe in. And and what I love about Brandon Marsh, um, I mean, there's a lot to love, really. Um, mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, and I, I think the big reason is that the, the game power has just been a little bit slow to show up. And so I think people have been a little hesitant to really buy in. But when you look at his overall profile, um, especially in an OBP league, I mean, he's going to be I think very, very valuable um, in this format. He's he's a 23-year-old uh, 
outfitter for the Los Angeles Angels, 6'4", 215 pounds, uh, can play center field or right field, has a very strong arm. Uh, he had a 386 OBP in 96 games at Double A in, in, in 2019. And um, the, the one, like I said, the one negative was, you know, he I think he only hit seven home runs in those 360 at-bats, and so there were some questions about his, his power. Um, but then he, he made a uh, swing change, and he became a little more upright with his mechanics and really tore up the Arizona Fall League in 2019. And, and then um, the reports coming out of the alt site this year um, have been terrific. Uh, I actually was watching some video on him tonight, and I, I haven't found this in, in, in print yet, but in the video that I was watching on MLB.com, the, the commentator noted that he hit seven home runs and just over 100 at-bats in the alt site. And oh. yeah, and, <laughs> and, and that was actually just video that I, 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 looked, I looked at a couple days ago. I mean, I've been on Marsh since the spring because what, one of the reasons that I've been on him is I, I believe that the hit tool and the plate approach are two of the most important characteristics in a, in a prospect. Mm -hmm. And so um, if the power is the tool that is a little slow to develop, especially when someone like him is 6'4", 215 pounds, I'm just not as concerned. And, and no. I, I know that it won't always, they won't always pan out, but I, I would much rather take the prospect where the approach is good and the power is just not there, but they have, they have a nice frame over the guy that is, you know, putting on massive power numbers, but there's a lot of questions about the hit tool. I, I think that developing a hit tool is much more difficult than developing the power, especially, like I said, for someone like Marsh, who's six foot four. So mm -hmm. I, I just wasn't, I just wasn't scared off at all by the reports that he might not have the power. And so I, I just started grabbing him everywhere and I'm getting him in the two 75 to 350 range in, in these drafts. And, um, and now when you hear a report like that, I mean, seven home runs and 100 at-bats at, at the all-site, that obviously that's, you know, it's all-site. Um, so it's different than the minor league setting, but it, it clearly shows that the power is, is coming. And um, I view him, I think the scouts, you know, some people think he's like an 18 home run bat. I, I think that he's at minimum a 20 home run bat, but I, I really believe that especially seeing hearing some of these reports and, and just watching how he's developing i think he's got 25 home run power in, in, in his bat at least and mm. if you're a 25 home run at a bat with the type of obp that he's going to put up 350 to 360 range mm. um and also uh the speed is there he stole 18 bases uh in 96 games at double a i mean you're looking at a, a potential 25 20 and I really don't think that that is um, that outrageous to believe that that is the type of profile that you, you could be seeing here. And twenty-five twenty with a three sixty OBP. I mean, that, that's pretty. <laughs> that's pretty. It's gonna be pretty glorious in a, in a league like this. So um, I, the other thing that I'll say is, I, I'm a big, like I said, I'm a big believer in, in looking at that return on the investment and. I frankly am not convinced that he's really any different than Dylan Carlson. And if anything, I think he's potentially going to have a slightly higher OBP and a, um, 
potentially strike out less. And Carlson is, you know, he has all the helium because he kind of took off in 2019 and he made the majors this year. Mm-hmm. His stock is down a little bit because he didn't do um, as well as maybe someone had hoped when he debuted. But um, just as an example, in the four drafts that I took Martian, I got him anywhere between 200 and 250 picks later than Dylan Carlson. And while I really like Carlson as a prospect, and I, I obviously think that there's a chance that he is a, a better player than Marsh, I just don't think it's um, that different. And it certainly doesn't warrant a 250 pick difference. And so, I mean, my projection on Carlson is probably somewhere in the 25 home run range as well with less speed and slightly less OBP. So, um, yeah, I just, I can't say enough good things about Brandon Marsh. And and I also uh, would advise that, you know, when you're looking at prospects, if if the one tool that's a little bit um, slow to to develop is power, um, you know, don't give up on those guys. No, and what the one guy that comes to my mind instantly is Christian Yelich. Because when Yelich was coming up, he is so big and his approach at the plate was so nice. Everything was there except for the power. But he had this all the fields approach where it was just like you knew he could do whatever he wanted to. If he wanted to hit home runs, he probably could. Maybe Marsh is that same guy where he can if he wants to. He's just not trying to. Um, so maybe he has a switch, man. Um but I like what you said about his hit tool and his approach because those are some of the most important things, um, especially when it comes to a team that wants to play successful baseball. These are things they look for. Um, the Angels are trying to win. And you have Mike Trout and you have Joe Adele. I'm not going to go through the whole Angels team. But basically, they want to win. And if Marsh doesn't come up here and perform – He's not going to get to stay, and he's going to have to earn his way on, which I am on your side here 100%. He's definitely going to, and it's only a matter of time. It's not an if. It's just a when. Um, so I'm actually curious. When do you think uh, Marsh will get the call? So I was actually having this discussion the other day um, with with a couple um, uh, you know, other fantasy enthusiasts about, you know, I actually think there's a decent chance that he gets more plate appearances than, than Joe Adele this year. Um, I, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it, it wouldn't surprise me, especially that Adele is going back to the minors you know, as well. Um, I think if, if Marsh has a strong spring training, um, you know, they, there, was, there was quotes out of the alternate camp that he basically dominated. They said he dominated the alternate camp. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if he goes into spring tra- training and he dominates too – I don't, I know, I don't have any intel to suggest that he would break camp on the major league roster, but you know, I don't know if it's out of the question. And if he doesn't, um, you know, if, if he goes to to AAA and, and continues to hit, um, I would like to think that he's up by you know mid May June. Um, mm-hmm. I, I definitely think he's going to get at least a half a season uh, in, in the major leagues this year, and maybe Adele does as well, um, or maybe more. I, I don't know, but. Um, I, like you said, the Angels are—they're um, not in rebuild mode per se. They're—they're—they're they're, they're adding pieces. I, I think mm-hmm. that their their outfield, um, you know, could very much benefit from someone like Marsh. He's also a very good defender, right? He's got a very strong arm. Uh, they could put him in, in right field, and he would do just fine there. 
So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on the amount of um, time that he's going to be at the major league level. And, and if he doesn't, again, it's a dynasty league, right? And I mm-hmm. took him at pick 278. So, like, I, I didn't build my team around um, him performing right away, right? And, and that's one of the reasons that I target guys like this because for my first nine picks, I went all major leaguers. And so I have that solid MLB core already established. And so now I'm willing to take a, a, a what I think is a very good um, in, investment of that price. And, and again, um, I, I just want to clarify for me, I, I like Dylan Carlson as a player. Um, mm-hmm. My point my point is just that um, if I can spend that top 100 pick on, on someone that is already proven the MLB level and then get someone 200 to 250 picks later that I think can provide uh, similar contributions over the next five to 10 years. I, I, I just think that's the best approach for, for building um, a, a dynasty roster. Yeah, I agree. And I kind of did the same thing here with, uh, with the first guy I'm going to talk about, um, which is Christian Pash, Pache. Um, so with Pache, what I'm looking at here, I took him round seven, pick 193. The thing I like about him a lot is his defense is going to keep him on the field. Um, he plays with a bit of swag, which I also like. Um, all these guys from the DR, man, they come over and they bring the flair with them. I love it. Um, I love watching them play because you could just see how much they love playing baseball. Um, the kid works hard. Uh, everything I read about him, he just wants to be good. He wants to be uh, like Acuna. He wants to be... Um, he wants to be like uh, David Ortiz, you know what I mean? He wants to be like all these Dominican legends um, that have come out. Um, but long story short, with with my boy Christian here, the thing that he brings to the table for me is he just makes it look easy when he's at the plate. He doesn't try to do too much. Um, he, he takes what the pitcher gives him. Uh, he has an all-fields approach. He reminds me of uh, Starlin Castro a lot. Uh, just the way that he stands at the plate. Um, he stands kind of tall. Um, he, he pulls the ball a lot uh, for power um, when he wants to. Um, but the thing that he also does is he hits up the middle a lot, and that's what I look for when I'm watching video. Uh, I love guys that hit up the middle um, because that just means that they know what they're doing. If if you're hitting it oppo the entire time, Chances are you're behind on fastballs, um, which he rarely does go oppo that much. Uh, I notice he either pulls it or goes middle. Um, So he may get shifted, and then he's going to have to adjust to that, Uh, which is one thing that I noticed in his short time in the big leagues last year is he already started making adjustments as the season went on, and that's something that I made a mental note of. And with a prospect, I need a guy who is going to adjust to big league pitching because they're going to adjust to him. Um, One thing a lot of young kids struggle with when they come up is off-speed and sliders and stuff because pitchers know exactly how to fool them. And if you can't adjust, you're not going to get playing time. And with the Braves, I mean, if you're not successful, you're not playing. The Braves are all in. Um, last year in 2020, in his short time, he hit 250 in the bigs, um, which, I mean, at least he got up. You know what I'm saying? He, he was supposed to be in the minors all of last season, but with everything that happened, it, it was nice to see him. Um, he had a big home run in the playoffs, just kind of shows his potential. 
And on my team, I don't need him to start right away. So, yeah, maybe... I, I don't know. He, I'm not calling him overrated because we didn't take him at an overrated spot. But last year at this time, he definitely was overrated because of the rumors that he might come up. He wasn't ready last year, but... At the same time, like I said, him coming up gave him some experience. He got to play in the playoffs. This is invaluable for a prospect. Um, he can go back and work on things. He knows what he has to do. And and like I said, his defense is there. So the Braves know how good he is on D. Um, the one highlight I was watching, he completely robbed a home run. And he acted like he didn't even catch it and like threw it back into the field from his butt. Um, that's just the type of flair he plays with. Uh, I like that about him. Uh, I like the team he's on. I like the lineup. The Braves know how to develop players. Uh, this team's not going away for a long time. They're going to be good, and he's going to be in the middle of it. Um, so in round seven, pick 193, I made the jump on him. And I'm curious what you think about him, Max. So Pache is one of those guys that I'm very intrigued by, um, you know, the profile. And I I question how quickly he will develop, right? Like it seems like he, he it may take him a couple of years to, to really kind of grow into his tools, but mm-hmm. in, in a 30 team league, especially or other deeper leagues, I think someone like that gets a, a, a boost just because um, as you mentioned, the defense is elite. He's going to be in the lineup. He's probably going to be, you know, near the bottom of the lineup at first, but will we'll eventually work his way up. Um, and, is going to provide, I think, solid stats across the board. And I think in shallow leagues, everybody wants that elite, you know, elite player in as many positions as possible, right? But in, mm-hmm. a, in a deeper league, um, having a, a lot of players that are going to get playing time in the major leagues and be, um, you know, solid contributors with a chance to develop into, um, I think, a, a a fairly significant fantasy asset. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly the type of pick that um, I think you make in a 30 team. And that it was a, a, a great time to take someone like that around pick 200. I think a lot of those very close prospects that have upside um, that you can get in that 200 to 250 range. It is a really uh, a good mm-hmm. approach. That was, that was the key, man. I, I needed someone that was, I wanted a prospect, but I also wanted them to be in the show. Um, with him, when I look at his minor league numbers, it's like 278, 274, 277, 279, 285, 260, 279, 281, 283, 333, 309. You know what I mean? Like every single year, he's hitting for solid average. He's hitting around 10 homers, 10 steals every year. Uh, the one year he got up to 14 steals, but I don't, my max for him is around 10 steals. I, I think I texted you that before the show. Um, I'm expecting more power than what they're... They currently have him at 50 raw power uh, and 65 speed. I feel like that should be flipped. and His speed should be around 50 and his power should be around 65. Um, I just see more to his frame than what they're showing. His hit tool, yeah, that's the thing that I'm worried about, that I need it to come around. But through his track record, through the minors, I feel like it will. Um, these are very good numbers and it's every year he produced these solid average numbers. So that's just what I'm looking at. He's consistent. Um, I feel like he was overrated and I don't think he is anymore. So that's why we took him. Yep. I, I think, I think that was a, a perfect range for someone like that. And, you know, it's, 
even if he takes a couple of years to develop into um, a, a really solid contributor, um, he's still going to give you um, respectable counting stats in a 30-team league. For sure. Um, let's move on to your next guy. Uh, you took him round 19, pick 563. I used a shortstop for the Philadelphia Phillies, Bryson Stott. Yeah, so Bryson Stott, um, another guy in that mold that I'm looking at when I'm uh, attacking deep leagues like this that um, is a close prospect that I think is a little bit under the radar and that I think is going to be a solid contributor across the board and someone that is also, I think, going to um, move pretty quickly. Um, you know, the, he was a 14th overall pick out of UNLV in 2019. And, of course, um, you know, the 2020 season was um, non-existent. Um, but yeah. he, in 2019, he, in, in, in Clash A short season, New York Penn League, um, he, you know, he, he showed that he is going to be an elite asset in, in OBP. Um, he had a 370 OBP and five home runs and five stolen bases and a 274 average. Um, I, I think a, a reasonable projection for someone like Bryson Stott um, is, is maybe like a, you know, right around 20, 22 home runs, um, somewhere between maybe 14, 16 stolen bases and um, a, a 345, 350 OBP. And, and, and so, again, another one of those guys that isn't going to wow you, um, but I do think that if he puts up solid numbers um, early on, like he's right outside the top 100 prospect list right now, and, and most prospect lists that I've seen, I think he at least gets into like the you know t- top 75, maybe even top 60 range um, before he, he debuts. And then at that point, he's one of those guys that I think is just going to be a solid contributor. And and Gene Segura um, <coughs> is getting is, is aging. Um, you know they have Alec Bone, but maybe he goes to first. He he has the arm to stick at shortstop, but he also can maybe play second or third. But I do think the Phillies are grooming him to be their their, their shortstop of the future. And mm-hmm. like I said, I I want to target guys in, in these rounds that are going to be up soon and contribute and um, be really solid across the board. And um, you know, in, in taking up someone like this, I, I might be passing on some of the more toolsy. Uh, prospects that um, you know could have higher ceilings, but they also have a lot more risk. Um, you know, from a risk profile perspective, I think Brian Bryson Stott is um, pr- pretty low on, on that spectrum, and I think it's you know at a minimum he's going to be an everyday shortstop, and in an OBP league, he could become a, a really valuable asset if if the um, play discipline that he has shown so far uh, continues. Yeah, the one highlight I was watching of him, he just absolutely mashed the ball, man. Kid's a beast. <laughs> yeah, he's 6'3", 200 pounds too, right? I mean, he's he's, he's a big kid, uh, plays shortstop. Um, he, he, like I said, he, I think he's going to be, I think he's going to stick there uh, at least for the immediate future. And and I just think guys like this, they, they don't get a lot of attention, especially right now because uh, there wasn't a full um, season in 2020. So you really have to kind of dig in and, and – and, and find, you know, do your homework on these guys um, because their their draft price is, you know, and their rankings are, are not as high as I think they'll be once they have a chance to, to really um, shoot up in, in, in the minor leagues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like my next pick too. Um, 
right around the same spot you took Bryson Stott. It's uh, Travis Swaggerty from the Pittsburgh Pirates. I took him around 18, pick 528. Um, so just about, what, 30 picks before you took Stott? So I was looking at him, too. Um, I really like him. Uh, the one reason I took Swaggerty over him was because I felt like there was more of an opportunity to play in time this season uh, with Swaggerty. Uh, you look at the Pirates roster right now, it's completely decimated. Uh, there's not much left after Cabrian Hayes and Colin Moran. Uh, so for me, it's looking like Swaggerty is going to get an opportunity and it should come relatively fast. Uh, and, and the one thing I do like about him is the kid's work ethic. Uh, he's always posting videos of him working out and stuff like that. I love seeing that out of my prospects. I don't, I just want to know what's going on. You know what I mean? I have so much invested. Just let me know that you're as committed as I am to you. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so with Swaggerty, he's a first round pick. Uh, Pirates took him 10th overall in 2018. Um, his, Miner's career, he's played 173 games, 14 home runs, 32 stolen bases, uh, 257 average with a 339 OBP. Um, that's that's pretty good, man. I, I like those stolen bases. That's pretty much an average of a full season, give or take 10 games here. But a 32 stolen base upside with 14 home runs um, with a 339 OBP is what I'm looking at as his absolute max. Um, if he could hit that, oh my goodness, I've struck gold. <laughs> so with him, you're getting a 40-grade hit tool, 60-grade uh, raw power, 65 speed, and 55 fielding. So he's going to play in the field every day um, because his glove's going to allow him to. His speed's going to keep him in the outfield. Um, and I feel like the power is going to develop. Um, we're waiting for the game power to develop a little bit more. But... I'd be happy with 15 home runs a year out of him. Um, when I watch him, I see a little bit of Andrew Benintendi to his game. Um, just because he has a back leg hitch, I notice. And they kind of, I don't want to say they scoop the ball, but they're not the biggest guys. So they kind of have to create loft somehow. And I feel like they do that with their back leg. Now, the one thing about Swaggerty is he's not going to have any lineup protection in Pittsburgh, so he's going to have to learn on the fly um, how to adjust to big league pitching. But I like his hit tool. I like his approach. Um, the power and speed combo is pretty much what I always target out of every prospect if I can because if you hit on any of them, um, you've done your job. And once they actually break out, that's when you really see what, I don't know, this is what you dream on. So the breakout that I'm expecting from Swaggerty is 15 home runs and around 30 steals uh, with around 335 OBP. Uh, so for me, 18th round, man, sign me up. Yeah, no, I agree. Especially to your point, the, the OBP um, appears like it will be there. Uh, I think I would be a little less bullish on him in in a an average league like oh for sure for sure we'll, we'll see what that hit tool is but i think that will be the the one thing that may continue to be a, a question but if he's getting on base at a, a respectable clip uh because he's walking then you know in, in a league format that you know that is obp focused he's going to be more valuable um I, i'll be curious to see if if the speed projection you have if he gets there um mm -hmm. I, I think the, the, the power, again, as I mentioned earlier in the show, uh, I, 
I tend to believe that, you know, power will, will develop with, with players like, like, like Swaggerty. Mm-hmm. Um, if he's a 20 stolen base guy instead of a 30 stolen base guy, um, and he's only a 15 home run guy, you know, I still think he's valuable in a 30, but, um, I'll be curious to see how much he runs, but, um, yeah, I think he's got a great opportunity in Pittsburgh to, uh, um, get a lot of playing time very soon. Okay, yeah, I, I should probably make that clear. 32 steals would be like his absolute breakout max season. <laughs> On an average season, I'd probably put that number around 25 steals, and I'd feel comfortable putting him at 25 steals. The power is the thing I'm questioning, and the average for sure is in question. But uh, like you said, man, in an OBP, he, he's a much better target than in an average league. Um, but he should be up this year, so we're going to get to find out pretty quick uh, whether that hit tool is legit or not. Um, but his speed should help him um, to get on base more than if he was a slower guy because he can beat out ground balls, whatever. I just like guys that are faster. Yep, yeah, and I think at that stage in the draft, a pick like that is um, you know, exactly the type of, type of uh, upside you want to chase. Speaking of upside... Your next pick is all upside, man. I love this guy. Uh, pitcher from the Milwaukee Brewers, Ethan Small. Uh, round 21, pick 623. Uh, what can you tell us about Ethan Small? Yeah, so, I mean, I, I guess it depends. So, so, so what I like about Small is the, the, that I think he's going to be a very safe pitcher. I think the, the, the upside in, in him is that I think the strikeouts will continue to be higher than maybe some people would think, even though he doesn't throw very hard. And so um, at a pick like that, and again, I, I, when I sent out that tweet about my shares, um, I have four shares of Ethan Small in nine leagues. So I'm, I'm pretty heavily invested in, in, in Ethan Small. And one of the reasons is price point, right? Like he's, he's a pitcher that I absolutely believe is going to be in a starting rotation in the big leagues very mm-hmm. soon. And when you're getting someone like that in it after, you know, pick 500 or into the 600 range, um, I think that even if he is a mid-rotation or even back-in-rotation arm, I think that there's a lot of value there. Um, what I'm curious to see is, is how he continues to develop uh, this year. Um, the, the unique thing about him is he's a, he's a low-velocity pitcher, but he generates a lot of whiffs. And, you know, he's 6'3", 214. I, I kind of describe him as kind of a crafty lefty. Um, but he, he, he went to Mississippi State. Uh, Brewers drafted him in the first round, 28th overall in 2019. He had Tommy John surgery after his freshman year at, at Mississippi State. Um, he had a solid sophomore year. And then his junior year, um, he went 10-2 with a 1.93 ERA and led the nation in strikeouts. And I don't know how many people realize that. 176 strikeouts in 107 innings, but he only throws like 91 miles an hour. So, um, that, I mean, that's, that's the kind of thing that gets my attention. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there, there are some questions about how his secondaries will develop. Um, and I think because he is a, you know, a pitcher that doesn't have that high um, – high velocity and his secondaries are still um, a work in progress. I think that might be one of the, the reasons that people are kind of hesitant to, to take, take a chance on him. But 
But again, he's he's tw- almost 24 years old. He's he clearly knows how to generate strikeouts, and even in in the minor leagues, um, I, I believe he he had a K per nine of 15.5 uh, percent. He he generates a lot of whiffs, so. Um, I'm willing to take the chance that he'll continue to work on his secondaries. And the other thing is I, I, I like to look at the organization. And the Milwaukee Brewers, they they tend to figure out a way to um, to develop pitching, even if it may take them a couple of years, like a, like the Brandon Woodruff and a Corbin Burns. Um, but over time, they, 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 they generate um, really solid starting pitching. And so do I ever think Ethan Small is going to be a top-of-the-rotation guy? I mean, I, I think absolute max would be a, a an SP two if everything broke perfectly. I, yeah. I don't I don't see him as as an SP one. I, I think realistically he's in the SP three to SP four conversation. But again, after pick six hundred in a thirty team league, someone that's going to be in the major leagues within a year, um, and is going to uh, I think provide solid ratios and. And strikeouts, right? A lot of a lot of those um, guys in, in that range, of that SP three, SP four range, they, they don't have the strikeouts. So no. I, I think I think he's going to be a very very um, um, helpful contributor. And I, I'm I'm trying to get as many shares as I can because at this price point, it's I, I think a really good investment. Yeah, the I noticed in his video, he likes to work quick, and I feel like. Batters don't even realize like he, he the ball's back in his hand and he's ready to throw it back. <laughs> like he he's very deceptive too. I noticed. Yeah, like I said, I call him a crafty lefty because um, mm-hmm. he he just yeah he's deceptive is a great way to describe it. Um, the the uh, the vertical movement on his fastball is um, very impressive and, and I think that's what's leading to all these strikeouts even though he's only throwing in the the very low nineties. And a lot of I think you know guys that are. When you're when you're going into a draft and you're, and you're doing research, when you see a, a pitcher throwing 91, 92, I, I think if you don't dig into them, you, you kind of get turned off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like I said, the first thing that stuck out to me was he led the na- nation in strikeouts, right? The, the, that in itself gets my yeah, attention. Really. And, no and so and so then you know I dug a little deeper, and yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Ethan Small. Yeah, like, uh, the next guy I'm going to talk about, bro, I literally drafted him because of his numbers, and then I researched him. (laughs) (laughs) I did it backwards that I normally do. But the reason is, let me tell you these numbers, okay? And then I'm going to tell you where I drafted the guy, and you tell me if it makes sense, all right? So, the last time he played a professional season, since there was no 2020, and he's a prospect, was 2019. His 2019 stats were 14 home runs, 51 RBI with 39 stolen bases and a 363 OBP. Now, Megs, I drafted this guy at pick number 1,068. Can you explain that, please? <laughs> it's it's uh, definitely um, the kind of stats that, that make you think, wow, you probably should not have, um, have fell to that point. I, uh, <laughs> I, I think that when you get into that area of the draft, like I do find that in a deep league, certain guys just kind of fall through the cracks um, because, you know, people are starting to kind of target guys that maybe they either have some comfort level with or that they've, 
scenes and video on or um so you you can find those find those guys that you um believe um are much better value and I'm also in that range a lot of the guys kind of you know mesh together but yeah I mean those stats uh definitely uh pop out mm-hmm. and I didn't even say his name but it's Brewer Hicklin um from the Kansas City Royals uh basically this kid uh he's all speed but he has pop too and when I watch him play, he kind of reminds me of Whit Merrifield. I know it's a very easy comp because they're on the same team, but I mean, the numbers show it. This is a Whit Merrifield season. If it's not, like, anyway, so his grades are he's got 35 hit tool, 55 raw power, and 70 grade speed. So the speed is legit no matter what. Um, that's not going anywhere. And he's a good fielder, so he should get on the field. The one thing that when I drafted him, um, I didn't really pay attention to was he's got a lot of competition to actually get on the fields on this team uh, more than I thought he had at the beginning. Um, he's got like Frenchie Cordero. Uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Hector Olivares. Um, yeah, Edward Olivares. And then they also have uh, Khalil Lee and um, uh, yeah, Kyle no, Isbell. And, Kyle yeah, Isbell. No, um hunter dozier too like uh and then they signed uh santana (laughs) i mean there was it was a lot different when i drafted this kid but at the same time i mean i pick 1068 in the 36 round this speed is literally my target and the obp uh we talked about it a bit before about how you kind of can piece together speed in these in these deep leagues well i feel like this is going to be one of those kids that's going to help me piece together that speed um, and the thing I like about him is he could provide some pop that a lot of these stolen base guys don't provide. Uh, so that's why I like to target. Um, I like to target people that have the potential to be a five tool player. And I feel like Brewer Hicklin could be that. Um, but I won't spend too much time on him. Uh, his, his swing is nice and quick. He gets to the ball quick. I could see it working in the pros. Um, the did, you one... say, did you say the hit tool was... Yeah, 35 hit. I mean, th- yeah, that, that's the kind of thing, I guess, that if you, if you want to say, well, why does someone like that fall to that spot of the draft? I mean, mm-hmm. if someone sees that, um, I think that um, they might be a little bit uh, shy. But to your point, if the 70 grade speed is is going to be there in the 30 team league at that point in the draft, I mean, you can fill in some, some stolen bases. I do wonder a little bit about. Um, what his walk rate will, will end up being um, overall. Um, I, I think that in, in 20, you know, in 2018, it was like five, 6%, but then it, it jumped up, I think in 2019. So it could, it, it could definitely be in that 10% range. And I think if it's, if it's there, then um, he's going to be very valuable. If, if he, if he becomes a lower OBP guy and he's just a speed person, then, then I think he becomes a little less valuable, but um, mm-hmm. certainly at that speed, at that point in the draft, it's it's definitely worth the flyer with a seventy grade speed. Yeah, most most drafts don't even get past a thousand. So at this point, it's just like you gotta like uh, we needed more speed on our team, and I went through fan graphs and I was like, find me a hidden gem that's not just pure speed, but can also offer some pop, and that's how I landed on Brewer Hicklin. And then once I started watching video, the kid works hard. Um, he, he's he got a great attitude. 
everybody around the alt site seemed to like him, which was another big thing for me when looking at prospects. Who actually got to come up and who were the teams wanting to be developed more under their own watch this year, right? And and this kid was one of those guys. So he got to play with like uh, Bobby Witt Jr. and Eric Pena and stuff this year. So I thought that was pretty cool um, that he was one of those members of the alt site. Yep, I completely agree, and and it'll it'll be fun to watch the Royals uh, develop in the next uh, two or three years. They they got a lot of uh, I think um, players at the at the relatively close to the big leagues that um, have a lot of intrigue, and there's some guys in the lower minors as well. So. Yeah, uh, they have Brewer Hicklin on Fangraphs as ETA at 2021. Um, so we'll see, man. I don't know how he's going to crack the roster, but I'll take it. <laughs> Uh, next, yeah. Uh, next on the list, you got uh, Jairo Solis at round thirty-two, pick nine thirty-eight. Yeah, so Jairo Solis um, is someone that I now have three shares of, and um, I'm starting to to like more and more. I I think when I was first digging in, um, you, you know, you get to that point in the draft, you're kind of just looking around at guys that might have, you know, upside. Um, you know, as I mentioned, my strategy, I kind of take some of the safer arms earlier. Um, and so when I get to this point in the draft, I'm kind of looking around for guys that I think might pop. And um, Solis sticks, sticks out to me for a couple of reasons. One, I think that one of the reasons that he's not getting much attention yet is because he hasn't really pitched in uh, a couple of years. So he was one of those uh, J2 guys signed out of, of Venezuela back in 2016. Uh, $450,000, um, and he actually, de- he, he advanced pretty quickly, so he, he made his debut at 17, uh, and he was fast-tracked to, to Class A, um, and then in 2018, he made 11 starts and, 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 and looked well um, on the mound, um, and then all of a sudden, he blew out his elbow and had to have Tommy John, and so, you know, he's an 18-year-old kid that um, has to have Tommy John, and at the time, there were a lot of um, reports that he, you know, his fastball might be uh, a 60, 70 grade pitch. Um, since he's come back, it, it, the reports are it's probably going to be, um, you know, not in that 97 range, but more more likely maybe um, in your, you know, 93, 94 range. But um, I think that. Uh, and, and maybe even a little bit lower, depending. You know, it's tough to know. But I, I also, when someone comes back from TGA, Tommy John, it sometimes takes him a little bit to get their velocity back, right? So um, <laughs> he's one of those guys that, to me, is kind of a dart throw right now. But um, he's in the Houston Astros system. He's um, 6'2", 160, kind of a, a lanky guy. I mean, and that, you know, he may be he may be put in even more weight by then. I, I don't have, you know, real-time data. But um I think that he's the kind of guy that if he goes into the minor leagues this year and, and pitches well, that his stock's going to shoot up pretty quickly. And I, I think he does have um, the, the frame and the ability to be uh, at least a back-end starter in the, in the Houston Astros rotation. The other thing that intrigues me about someone like this is, again, the, the organization does play a role in some of the picks that I make. And the Astros have figured out a way to um, get more out of some of these pitchers that others may not value. Um, I remember when I did my 30-team startup, uh, Christian Javier was someone that 
I was targeting and ended up getting sniped on. But, you know, that was in like the five, 600 range. And that was drafted for the season. He had a solid season. Remember, Valdez had a very, a very good season. You know, they, they've also, they kind of, you know, they're famous for reinventing Justin Verlander. Um, I really believe in, in their pitching development. So um, when I see a, a guy like this that hasn't been um, in the, um, you know, the system for very long, and um, has some some glowing reports about what he might be able to do. It, it to me, it's 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 worth worth a shot at that price. Do do I have? Am I confident he's going to be a major league starting pitcher? No, I think he uh, likely will. You know, assuming he's healthy, I think he will at least make it in, into the bullpen. Um, but again, if if he ends up being um, the next Christian Javier, then it's a great pick, right? <laughs> so yeah, for um, sure. That, that's that's I think the thought process behind targeting someone like that. Yeah, man. If, if he turns into the next Christian Javier, you're laughing. Uh, <laughs> at at 9:38, it's like, come on. <laughs> so yeah. for me, um, when we're talking about the Astros, you nailed it on the head. These guys just know how to develop. Um, they have some of the most high high high-end technology sorry and they really helped develop like literally everybody that's walked through their door i think of uh roberto ozuna as well um when he came over from the blue jays he just came over and took over as one of the best closers in the game on their team um and and they tried it with it with Aaron sanchez it didn't really work out um but they're they're willing to take guys uh and develop them on their own and make them their own, um, like you said, Christian Javier's, <laughs> which is their own. <laughs> but anyways, let's move on to the next guy on the list, which is uh, Sean Jelly um, from the San Francisco Giants. Uh, he's a six foot eleven right-handed pitcher, uh, two hundred and twenty-eight pounds. He's an absolute beast of a man. Or a kid, he's only 23 years old. Um, can't really call him a beast of a man yet. He's just a kid. Um, but anyways, he was the Giants' 2018 second-round pick. Um, I took him in the 37th round of our draft. Um, in his minor league career, he started 40 games. He's gone 7-9 and nine, uh, with a 3.55 ERA. Um, he struck out 161 guys in 165 innings uh, with only 41 walks which I thought was excellent control um, and great K per nine ratios. Uh, and the fact that he's already made 40 starts, I really like, uh, considering he was only drafted two years ago. Um, it shows they're really pushing him through the system. Um, and I can see why they like him, man. He's got a good pitch mix. He's got a uh, 50-grade fastball, 45-grade curveball, 45-grade changeup. Um, he's got 45-grade command. And he also added a slider, too. Um, I don't have the grade on it, but it's around 84 to 85 miles an hour. And he just buckles hitters, man. He's so tall. Uh, all his pitches are coming out of downward plane. Um, so if you're standing at the box, basically he's throwing it to you. Uh, his arm span, he's got to be about 7.5. So he's throwing down from 7.5 and hitting it about <laughs> 10 inches off the ground. You know what I mean? Like, it's just disgusting. The, the movement that he gets um, with his off-speed pitches, too, it literally buckles hitters. He's got 40-plus uh, future value. Um, and I see him 
maybe because they didn't have a season this year, I could see him starting the, the year in the minors just to develop a little bit more. But by the end of the season, this kid's going to be up. Um, Zips had him projected to come up this season, and they had him starting 29 games, which I don't see happening. Um, I don't see any scenario where he starts 29 games this year. But if he did, I mean, I'd be happy with that, considering I got him after pick 1,000. Anything you get, Major League, um, stats-wise, after pick 1,000, like, it's just money in the bank. Um, so their projections for him, if he did get those 29 starts, he was going to go nine and eight with 142 innings pitched, 109 strikeouts and a 425 ERA. That's not bad for a rookie season, man. Not at that price point. Absolutely. Um, so for me, I, I, I'm just dreaming on his size, uh, his demeanor on the mound. He works quick. He's got a nice repeatable delivery. Um, the 92 to 94 way, well, on paper, may not seem that intimidating. Go stand at the box and face a 6'11", 228-pound uh, kid who throws 94 miles an hour and tell me that's not intimidating. <laughs> You'd be intimidated, trust me. And then he's going to come back at you with a 86-mile-an-hour changeup. Good luck. Um, but anyways, I love his commands. Um, like I mentioned before, he only walked 41 guys in the minors so far. It's amazing. Um but yeah, that's about all I have to say about Jelly. Um, he's got a weird spelling on his name. It's, per, it's spelled H-J-E-L-L-E. But he goes by Jelly. Everyone calls him Jelly. And he's a good kid too, man. I watched a lot of video on him. Um, he does a great interview. He just talks about how his family is the most important thing to him and how he doesn't want to just be known as a tall pitcher. He wants to be known as one of the best pitchers. And he really strives for that. And these are all music to my ears when I'm looking at prospects. Um, I want a kid with a good head on his shoulders. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I think, like you said, someone at that price point that can be a contributor to the major league level at a, um, in a very near future, um, it's, it's, it sounds like the, the type of guy that you, you, you want to be targeting. So. I love the Giants excited, too. <laughs> to see what he um, will do. And, and yeah, the, the Giants ballpark um, is, a, is a great place for pitching. And, and they figured out some ways to make, um, you know, kind of rebirth some pitchers, right? So you'd like to think that some of that um, expertise and, and their approach to pitching will also translate at the prospect level. For sure. That's my hope. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the last guy on your list, um, he goes by Miguel Blaze. <laughs> or at least that's what they call him. But uh, Miguel Blaze was uh, a Red Sox signee. Um, but I'll let you talk about him, bro. You drafted him in the 47th round, uh, number 1403. What can you tell us about Miguel? Yeah. So, um, I mean, p- part of the reason I wanted to talk about um, Miguel Blaze is just to you know, for the listeners to, when they're doing these deeper leagues, um, you know, it's, it's very, I think, easy to want to go after, um, the really, um, highly touted J2 guys already. Um, but you're, you're going to pay up for them. And I I do think that there is an an argument to be said for, for some of the more safe ones, but, um, at a certain point, I think a lot of the J2 guys, um, have a, a, and really just prospects in general, right, have a, a certain level of risk. And, and I think that when you get deep into a draft, um, there's just so many players in the in the pool that have the type of tools that could explode. 
and, mm-hmm. and for me, uh, Miguel Blaise is, is that type of guy. Do, do I have, you know, can I predict what he's going to be in, in two to three years? Um, not necessarily. I mean, he, the kid is 16 years old. He's mm-hmm. 6'3", 170 pounds. Like, they, the Red Sox signed him for $1.5 million. He's an outfielder. Um, but, but when you watch him, there's actually a, a couple videos um, uh, that you can find of, of his swing. I mean, that, he generates a lot of power. And I think that, you know, he potentially could grade out as, you know, a plus, a plus or maybe even double plus power. Um, but it's so hard to predict right when they're that young. But my, my point is more that at this stage in the draft, I, I want to target at least a couple of those guys. Now, I don't want to just load up on them because, you know, the, the, if you just have so many guys that are um, so far away and they all um, – don't pan out, then you you know you've lost a significant portion of your roster. But I do think it's important to um, plug in some of those guys throughout. And, and if you hit on one of them, like if he goes, you know, if he comes out and just starts mashing, and he's an 18 year old that is just you know hitting bombs, like his stock is going to go through the roof. And mm-hmm. and and then all of a sudden he has been priced out of someone that you can acquire or. You're gonna to have to pay up for it now. In, in shallow leagues, you know, someone like this is not relevant yet because there's so many more guys that are more proven. But in a deeper thirty league, thirty team league, um, I'm absolutely um, going to go after a, a prospect that um, the, the scouts believe uh, you know has um, significant power and significant speed upside. Mm-hmm. Bro, I have so many J two guys. I'm just looking over my team, like. I agree with everything you just said, especially when it comes to the J2 signings, because the one thing we know for sure is these kids know how to play. All of them know how to play. And maybe because they didn't sign as big of a bonus as another guy, it does not mean they're not as good. It just means maybe the other guy was hyped more. Um, their raw power may be more flashy. Uh, they just may have a certain tangible that scouts like better. But at the same time, there's no denying this kid's power. It's legit, legit. When you watch him at 16 years old, the ball literally jumps off of his bat. Um, I'm excited for him. He's in a great system for developing bats. The Red Sox are one of the best teams at developing bats. Um, they're not so good at developing arms, but bats, <laughs> they, they know how to develop bats. Trust me on that one. <laughs> I just look at Xander and uh, Dever, sorry. like These are J2 guys. Yep, absolutely. I was just going to say that. And and he's a right-handed. He's a right-handed hitter. Um, I mean, with that green monster, that that frame, like if he does pan out, he's going to be an absolute beast. Now, mm-hmm. again, you know, with any of those guys, there, there's a there's a risk, and you you just there's not enough data yet to really to really know what their approach is going to be, uh, and you know how they're going to continue to develop. And you know, he's 16, so I mean, he realistically could be five, six years away from from you know, making a debut. And, and I think that's why, like, in, in shallow leagues, you know, these guys are not on anyone's radar. Um, you know, the ones, you know, the very top J2 guys um, are, are getting signed in, in first-year player drafts in the shallow leagues, right? But um, someone like this is... And I think that's an interesting point you make about, like, why are some higher, you know, higher league, more talented than others... Um, I mean, for for one, I think he you know he's not a five two he's not necessarily 
going to be a five tool guy. Although, I mean, the speed does project um, as as at least potentially a 50 speed. So 60 power, 50 speed. I mean, I think that could develop into that type of across the board player. But, um, you know, he's 16. So he's on the younger side of these of these G2 guys as well. He signed for 1.5 million, which is, is, is a good price point. But I do think that um, a lot of the initial rankings on these guys do tend to, do tend to correlate to their 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 signing bonus or their their, their signing price. Um, mm. But you know there are there are different reasons why teams spend different amount of money on on different um, players as well. So you know we'll see. He's a long ways away. Um, you know certainly not without risk. But at, at that point in the draft, um, I definitely want to make sure that I'm, I'm targeting two or three of these type of guys and. And then just kind of wait and see. And um, if it doesn't pan out, um, then they're you know, it's it's not a it's not a high pick. Um, and if it does pan out, then either in a future trade or to just keep long term, you've gotten you've gotten um, a really good investment there. Um, and I would much rather do that than um, invest in some of the the more highly touted J two guys that you're having to really pay up for right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took one J2 guy, uh, Roberto Campos, from Detroit in the 28th round. So you got Miguel Blaise almost 20 rounds later. And who's to say they're not going to be around the same when they debut? We don't yeah, know. We don't know. And, and um, so, like, so like Blaise, uh, you know, on the, in the MLB rankings, I think they had him at the 21st um, uh, uh, prospect uh, of the J2 guys. But, I mean, when you go back, uh, a fun exercise is to kind of go back and look at some of those J2 lists sometimes mm-hmm. and, and kind of see, and, and you'll see that like, you know, there's guys like Eloy Devers at the top of that um, um, were highly ranked, but, but then you'll, you'll find some names that are like lower on the, on the list that really turned into um, really uh, great players. And, and so it's just, I mean, I, I think all of these guys um, have the ability to be, uh, future stars, if if they're being signed, you know, at, at that price point, over you know, a couple million or dollars, and, and you just kind of have to to wait and see which ones pan out. But um, I I love I love his swing. I, I love the the torque he generates, um, and he should be a fun one to keep track of in that Red Sox system. Oh, for sure, bro. I agree, hundred um, percent. The the one last thing I will mention, just to tie in with what you said, is. When we're looking at these kids, I mean, you just want something that jumps off the page. And with him, it was his power. His power jumps off the page, so that's what you're dreaming on. And the rest is up to him. He's got he's to gotta put in the work to make sure that the rest of his game irons out to catch up to his power, and then we'll see him in the show when that happens. Yeah, so the, the power and then also the frame, right? 6'3", and, and obviously they go hand-in-hand, hand, but... He's six three one seventy as a sixteen year old. Like, I mean, that that's just <laughs> that's that's insane to me. I mean, I just think that when you see that kind of frame and then that power projection, um, yeah, it's it's something you dream on, and, and then you you wait a few years and you see whether or not it panned out. Yeah, if if he starts shooting up the list, cash in, man. <laughs> yep. Yep. Trade exactly. him. Move on up. <laughs> exactly. That's what you're supposed to do, though. Like you said at the very beginning, these are, we got to treat it like an MLB team. These are assets, 
MLB teams treat players and prospects like assets. We have to do the same. You can't fall in love with your entire team. Sure, you can fall in love with some people, but you just got to constantly try and, and shuffle in and out, shuffle uh, guys that you got cheap whose value has gone up, cash in. That's the whole point. That's why you get them cheap, so that when they do, their value does go up, you get something a little more reasonable for that person. Or if they're that good, just keep them and ride it out. Yeah, and in the 30-team league, I think also, you know, mixing and matching and, and how you and which prospects you attack, I think, is important. So for like me, and I'm not going to, I won't get into another uh, player analysis, but like I took someone like Dominique Fletcher in, in, in this draft. Um, and then I took someone like Miguel Blaze. Like um, the the upside um, is extremely different, but the so are the floors, right? Fletcher is going to be a major league bat. He may end up just being a platoon, um, you know, utility guy, um, but he's likely going to be in the big leagues. Um, Blaze, you know, may, may may not may not make it on the rookie ball, or he may be, um, you know, a middle of the order bat for the Red Sox. So what I try to do in these drafts is is kind of um, mix and match and make sure you have, uh, you know, a, a, a portfolio uh, in, in your draft that allows you to, you know, not have, take on too much risk. I agree. I agree 100%, man. And that's that all goes with the depth that we were talking about as well. Um, if you have the proper depth, you can take a, a chance on a guy like Blaze who you could dream on um, because you have good enough depth to, to carry him. And if he struggles, it's okay because um, your team's not depending on him, right? <laughs> exactly. All right. So the last guy I'm going to talk about, uh, I took in round 50. This was a 60-round draft. So we've gotten pretty deep here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. This is pick 1488, bro. Like, unbelievable. Um, his name's Dre Jamison, though. Uh, he's a pitcher uh, coming from the Arizona Diamondbacks, who they took in 2019, round one in the competitive picks, or sorry, in the compensation picks, um, and he was the number two pick in that round, uh, number 34 overall. So he's got a pretty high pedigree as it is. Um, most people don't really talk about him or at least that I've heard is probably because of his perceived horrible control, which they're not wrong. I mean, when you watch him, it looks like it takes him a minute to figure out where his fastball is even going to go, but it's just because it's so electric. Um, the one thing I like about him is he's got a sweet pitch, pitch mix. Sorry. His fastball is 60 grade slider, 50 grade curveball, 55 grade change up 50 grade. And then there's the red flag. The command is only 35. Um, but he's got a 40-plus future value, according to Fangraphs. And for me, I like that a lot. Um, I like that fastball. I know that's going to play because when you watch it, it just jumps out of his hand. Um, he's not that tall of a guy, so he kind of has to create torque um, with his body, which he does. And I think that's where his control kind of suffers a little bit. Um, but he said it's something that he's been working on a lot is facing the batter more than facing the base. Uh, he, he found that in doing this, he's squaring up a lot more with the catcher and he's finding a lot better control. Uh, he's also said he's added 10 pounds of muscle. So he's up to 175 pounds. Um, when he was drafted, he was only 165 pounds, man. He was just like a skinny kid. Um, so I'm hoping now that he's added some muscle that, I don't know. He just has uh, a stronger wrist and better control of, of where he wants to throw it instead of just letting it fly. Um, 
I don't want him to lose any of his electricity. But at the same time, if you can't control where you're pitching, you're never going to make it to the show. Um, his current ETA is 2022. Well, if he doesn't figure out this control, it's probably going to be around 2023. Um, at least or, as a, or he becomes a middle reliever. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what I was just going to say. Or, or the worst thing is he's never not a starter at all, and they just put him in the pen, and they're like, you know what, your fastball and your and your curve and your slider, that's all you're going to throw. Thank you very much. Go throw a hundred. You know what I mean? Like that's that's where the league is going. Um, if you could throw fast, you're coming up, and you're coming up fast. I think of uh, Luis Patino uh, on the Padres because of his fastball is so good. Um, boom, he's up last year. Doesn't even see double A, and he's up. So that, maybe that happens with Dre Jameson because his fastball is that good. Um, and the Diamondbacks pitching staff is not that good either. So that's another thing that I like to look for. Um, is my guy going to have an opportunity to come in and play at any point? in the near future. I could see it happening in Arizona. Uh, like I said, I don't really like the rotation that much. I love Zach Allen. <laughs> That's not, that goes without question. Who doesn't love Zach Allen? Yeah, Zach Allen is one of my favorites, and I was fortunate to get in on him before he really blew up. Uh, he's he's awesome. But yeah, you're, you're right. That rotation, um, yeah, <clears throat> I think, will have opportunities for some of these prospects to, to get in, in in the next couple of years. I mean, they do have they're really developing some nice pitching prospects. I mean, beyond just the hitting ones that, you know, are everyone talks about, like Christian Robinson, Corbin Carroll, Alec Thomas. But from a pitching perspective, I mean, you have uh, uh, Blake Walston, you have Bryce Jarvis, you have uh, Luis Frias. I mean, we'll see how they all pan out. But, but yeah, Jamison definitely seems like he has the, the ability. Um, I, I do always get a little concerned when the command control is, is the tool that's lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know he, he's young, uh, and and pitching development is not linear, um, and, and he has both a fastball and um, you know more than one quality secondary pitch. So I mean that's the kind of things that I think you're looking for when you when you take a pick like that, and and you just have to kind of wait. I mean maybe mm-hmm. maybe his fastball is elite enough that at worst he's at least a, an eighth inning guy, and then in, in a 30 team league you you have another Saint Solis guy. So. Um, that's another thing to think about, right? Is like even if these guys aren't starters in, in a stakes holds league, um, they can still potentially be valuable. For sure. Um, the the last thing I'll say about uh, my analysis of Dre Jameson is when the batter is in the box, they're not comfortable. They have no clue where he's going to throw it because they know that he doesn't know where he's going to throw it either. And what you see is a lot of horrible like last minute hacks <laughs> so when i watch this on tape it's just like a oh man what a pitch but at the same time it's like neither guy is confident that he knows where it's going so is this a matter of that or is it a matter of is really that nasty so for me it's like if his command was better he's not getting drafted in the 50th round he's getting drafted way higher up just because of his pure stuff and his pitch mix alone uh, it's, it's not very often you're going to draft a guy with four 50-grade um, pitches or higher in at pick 1488. Uh, that's just crazy. Um, but that's the thing, man. When, when your command's that bad, nobody is going to talk about you. So he really needs to work on it. Um, if he turns into one of those late-inning saves and holds guys, so be it. Uh, I'm really hoping for more out of him. 
in a sense that I think he could really be a nice, um, like maybe SP4 with, with, with K upside. Uh, that's kind of the goal out of him. But his his clearest path to the majors, like you said, is probably uh, probably coming out of the pen because it's fastball. Um, but either way, the arm is going to play in the bigs. I know that for a fact. Um, I can see this stuff is crazy. He kind of reminds me of Joe Kelly a little bit where it's like he's so wild, it's effectively wild. Do you know what I mean? Yep, and, and round fifty, um, like I said, if it's a if it's a starter, you you hit you, you hit the jackpot. If he's an uh, effective reliever, uh, elite, especially if he's going to at least get some holds, um, then it's still a really solid pick. And and even if it, if it's neither though, it was round fifty. So um, yeah. de- definitely uh, think that that's the type of guy you want to want to target at that at that stage of the draft. For sure, it's just try and find something, man, and run with it. So. That's what I did with his with this guy uh, with with Trey. I just I really like his fastball, and I think there's a path to the big leagues just off this one pitch alone. And uh, his slider is really good too, and his curveball. But um, that's all I got on him. Um, that's all I got on all of our players, actually. Uh, do you have anything else you'd like to add, Megs? No. Um, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, as you mentioned, at Mags uh, underscore S two zero. Happy to um, DMs are open. Happy to have any discussions about you know um, deep deep dynasty leagues uh, or, or shallower leagues. But I, I do think that th- this thirty team concept. I'm also in a uh, so I, I think I said what nine nine leagues total. I think three of them are thirty teams. I have a twenty team, uh, a, a couple sixteens, and and then a couple shallower leagues. So you know, kind of the gamut. But um, love talking about uh, deep dynasty strategy. For sure. There's like, like we said at the very beginning, there's so many different strategies and prospects. The, the player pool is just unbelievably deep. Um, It's easy to get lost in just looking up prospects. Like that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on, man, because we keep talking about them. Absolutely. But thank you so much for coming on, Megs. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Have Have a great night. Yeah, you too, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right, bye. 